You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Got a special episode lined up. So last episode, if you listened... Um, Myself, along with two buddies of mine, talked some some draft. We talked about some of the prospects, what we expect to happen, those different things. Well, tonight I have both of those guys back. It's Danny Hillman, Matt Labatou, and I also have a fourth person jumping into this party, my boy Cortland Taylor, all of which are appearing on the podcast for the second time. So, got some groundbreaking shit happening, but... Tonight's episode, we're going to do something fun and something that all four of us love, and that is draft. Draft strategy, drafting teams, whatever it may be. We're going to do a full first-round mock where each of us hold eight picks across several different franchises. So we're going to implement our own strategies Um Just to kind of play it up here, we are going to draft based on need, but we're not necessarily picking as if we're the the current GMs of those teams. These are our teams. We're drafting where we see fit. So crazy stuff can happen. Trades that may not be talked about right now among the teams can possibly happen. But before we dive into that, starting this off, huge news out of Tampa today as Rob Gronkowski is coming out of retirement, and he was traded to Tampa Bay from the New England Patriots with one year remaining on his deal. So Gronk and Brady reunite down south. That's a huge shakeup. So before we get into our mock draft here, without being too long-winded, let's dive into that. First and foremost, I'll start... I'm excited to see this happen for the simple fact it's Brady, it's Gronk. You know, we're talking about the last 10 years, arguably the best quarterback pass catching duo uh, throughout the decade, multiple Super Bowls. Gronk, although has battled injuries throughout his career, he is an absolute chess piece offensively, and he was that chess piece offensively for the Patriots for so many years. And last year, without him on that team, you saw what kind of happened with that Patriots receiving core. They were not the same. And with him going to Tampa, that's some exciting shit. Um, So I'll open the floor here. Cortland, let's start with you. What's your thoughts on that, man? I think it's exciting, man. For the simple reason that Tampa Bay has been dying for something to be excited about. And uh, I think they're going to sell some tickets. And I think that's really what this is about. Um, one thing that's really going to be interesting to see, you know, the recovery basis of, you know, Grunk being able to shake back and actually heal throughout the year, you know, just being off. So it should be good for his body. I hope that he's uh, coming back to, you know, some prominent play. And it should be exciting. I'm excited just the fact that Tampa Bay is going to be, you know, a competitive team. Not saying they were competitive before, but now they can actually be, you know, legitimate contenders, you know, and actually uh, win 10 to 12 games, hopefully, you know, so it's exciting to see. For sure. Danny, what about you, man? What's your thoughts on this trade breaking today? Yeah, I mean, one thing that caught me by surprise is how quickly 
the news broke to the trade being completed. I mean, you were talking about what maybe a maximum of an hour uh, from when you first heard it to when you heard that the trade was in place pending a physical. Uh, what's really cool about it, I mean, the Bucks, they're, they have a strong offense, of course. Anytime you have Brady and Gronk and then you, you mix in Evans and, uh, you know, Chris Godwin, um, it's great, but their defense is stacked too. But I also want to see the dynamic of Bruce Arians mixed in because they went from one of the most respected coaches, but I, I won't necessarily call Belichick liked, you know, in the circles to Bruce Arians is without a doubt a very um, beloved coach by his players. So interested to see that. And like I said, it was just shocking how quick it came together. Well, playing off the point of how quick it came together, before we get to Matt here, one of the things I find interesting, Cortland and I were actually on the air in college when the news broke that uh, Jimmy Graham was being traded to the Seahawks for that first-round pick and Max Unger and literally got the update. We flipped gears and we started talking about that on air and it was kind of that same similar situation while we were talking about it, the news broke that the deal did go through. And it was funny because I literally turned to Cortland when that was the rumor. And I said, they better fucking do that deal now. Even as someone who loved Jimmy Graham as much as I did, that would have been stupid to pass up on. But that's kind of what that reminded me of today, just because I literally left my phone, come back to about eight texts that Gronk's probably going to the Bucks, and then I look at some of the further texts, and it was, okay, yeah, he's with the Bucks, and I'm just sitting there thinking, holy shit, so 100% get that. Now, Matt, what about you, man? What's what's your feeling on this trade? Well, I guess now we know why O.J. Howard was on the trade block, but uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's good <laughs> it's good for the NFL in general, because uh, I'm not so sure that the, uh, the NFL has too many of these dynamic personalities that you know everybody knows who they are and they they can have almost like a cult following i think gronk's one of those people so just having him back in the nfl on any team much less you know the buccaneers with tom brady i I think it's just amazing it's going to bring some great entertainment value which i think maybe you know you'd say lacked a little bit because gronk's such a big name you know going to the wwe showing you know he's an entertainer first and foremost and i think he happens to be a great football player also well, speaking, but, uh, oh, go especially ahead. going to the same, div- uh, especially going to the same division as uh, as the uh, Saints. You know, get to watch him twice a year for a lot of the Saints fans down in Louisiana. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Just makes that offense even more loaded. Uh, I don't know how you're really going to be able to stop Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and then uh, add Gronkowski to that. This is going to be dirty, dirty on offense. But uh, back to Mike. I don't know what were you going to say. I was going to say it's interesting you mentioned the WWE aspect because Gronk right now is the WWE 24-7 champion. So he literally has a WWE belt right now um, that he won since he hosted WrestleMania. So that's interesting. Curious to see how that gets written off or whatever happens there. But Gronk's back. It's exciting. I'm a huge Gronk fan, so it's cool to see him back. And uh, it's going to be great to see him back in pads. But that being said... Um, we'll go ahead and get started with this draft. Uh, just to kind of recap how this is working, we have set aside certain teams for us to pick from. 
Um, there's already been trades that we've talked about that have been made prior to this. And as the draft goes on, depending on who we pick, things like that, you may see other trades transpire throughout this draft. Again, this is not a reflection of what we think teams are going to do more so than what we would do if we were the GMs of those teams. So this will give us an opportunity to shit on one another if we make a flub at a pick, uh, whatever the case may be. But we're here here to have fun, here to uh, do some drafts, do some trades, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. And with that being said, uh, my first team is the Cincinnati Bengals. So essentially, I'm on the clock. And uh, I'll just go with the status quo here. First pick here, um, it's got to be Joe Burrow. He's going to be the number one overall pick. And uh, I was not going to move down from Cincinnati. Uh, So I will take Joe Burrow here. Uh, So before we move on to the Redskins and their pick, uh, I think I can speak for the group here when I say that's no surprise. Joe Burrow, number one overall. Yeah, I agree. Dynamite line there, Monty. Um, but uh, <laughs> so uh, that being said, the Washington Redskins are on the clock. Danny, that means you're up. It's your pick. So um, have at it. Yeah. So I mean, the Redskins, I think, is kind of the the other no brainer. You have one and one A. I think Burrow's easily the best quarterback. I think. Uh, this guy's probably the best athletic prospect uh, that you've seen on the D-line, according to some scouts. And it's it's helping an already stacked D-line. I'm going to go uh, with Chase Young here, number two. Washington Redskins, Chase Young. And with that being said, so we have Burrow, Chase Young, first two off the board, no surprise there. But Cortland, you're on the clock. And uh, what are you doing with the third overall pick? Yeah, with the third over, overall pick, we have a trade. Um, Detroit will be receiving the fifth overall pick, the 18th overall pick, and the 70th overall uh, pick from the Miami Dolphins. And with that being said, I am back on the clock, and uh, I'm going to go status quo here. Something that I believe is going to happen come draft day, and something I think should happen in all honesty, is Tua is the second quarterback taken off the board here. And uh, I'm going to go status quo. I'm going to trade up as the Dolphins, and I'm going to go ahead and take Tua, uh, quarterback from Alabama. And uh, yeah, we got our quarterback. And next up, we have the Giants on the clock. Uh, So, Matt, you're up. Your first pick in this here draft. What are you doing with the Giants? So, with the number four pick, the New York Giants are going to go all-world athlete, all-defensive chess piece, Isaiah Simmons. Well... First and foremost, as uh, the Giants pick Isaiah Simmons, Matt was smart enough to not pull a David Gettleman here, so kudos to you, because I don't know about you guys, but let's talk reality for a second. If you had to set a percentage on how bad Dave Gettleman flubs this pick, I would set it at 85 or more, 85% or more that he just screws this up royally. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Danny. I was just going to say, I think he's going 
offensive line, I'd put that at 90%. I agree. I, I had him. Yeah, I agree. In, in my in my personal mock, I have Tristan Wirfs there. Uh, I love Gettleman picking ahead of your favorite sports team because it means if there is a guy you're hoping to slide, and I think in this year's draft it's Simmons, you get to be alive for one more pick. But, I mean, I think it, you know, with Matt grabbing Simmons there, he's grabbing the, the Swiss Army knife of the draft by far. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to all of you guys about Isaiah Simmons, and, um, I mean, I think all of us are pretty much in the camp that if we're any franchise, we're taking him if he's available beyond the first two picks, maybe three picks, just because of that versatility. Um, so the Giants select Isaiah Simmons at four. So Matt did not pull a Gettleman. That means Cortland, after the trade, is on the clock at five. And I heard you say fuck when <laughs> Isaiah Simmons was picked. So where's your head at and who are you picking? Yeah, well, I knew uh, as far as Detroit last, I said that we needed help at uh, safety and corner. That was glaring holes right there. But, you know, you still have the value of both picks. I was, you know, hoping that Isaiah Simmons would fall back at five and I can probably get back. You know, and think about another pick later. But I'm going to go with Jeff Okuda, number five. Um, I think he's by far the best cornerback on the market as far as, you know, his technician and lockdown capabilities. He can shut down one side of the field. And obviously, uh, Detroit Lions have glaring holes everywhere. So I think he's one of those pieces you can really start with. And Cortland going status quo here. I think most mocks have the Lions taking Okuda. That's a smart pick. It's a good pick. He's the best cornerback in the draft, bar none, like Cortland said. Um, so I don't think there's any surprise there. Just kind of rounding out the top five here before we move on and before the Los Angeles Chargers are on the clock. Joe Burrow, one to Cincinnati. Chase Young, two to Washington, followed by Tua to Miami after a trade. Uh, Isaiah Simmons goes four to the Giants and Okuda five to the Lions. So pretty status quo thus far. Um, with that being said, the Los Angeles Chargers are now on the clock. And uh, Danny, you're up, sir. Yeah, so this is one of the picks. I think the Chargers could go one of three ways, at least when I was looking at it. Uh, quarterback's enticing, but two is already gone. Herbert's there, maybe. Uh could always help and try and improve the, the defense, but I'm actually going to uh, sure up the offensive line here with the Chargers. Uh, I think that their defense is stout, and I think they have some weapons on offense, and their window shrinking. I wouldn't uh, bet against them adding a veteran quarter quarterback, maybe Cam Newton. So I'm going to go with offensive tackle Tristan Worfs here with the number six pick for the Los Angeles Chargers. And first and foremost, I think that's a good pick if I were grading that. I think it's a smart pick going offensive line. Uh, the Chargers this year have a loaded secondary uh, with guys like Derwin James. Um, and they recently signed Chris Harris to that secondary to already pair with some studs back there. And then, of course, you have older brother Joey Bosa up front. Uh, so they have a great defense. And, you know, offensive line, they did make some moves this offseason, getting David Bakari and uh, Trey Turner, which we had talked about on our previous episode. But sharing that up with a guy like Wurfs, I think, is a, a, a good move. And overall, I think this is just a classic case of not being sexy, going for what wins and the trenches win. So I'm going to go ahead and put on my uh, politically correct status quo all-time great of – Basically saying what uh, 
the proverbial saying should be at this point. But, yeah, offensive line, solid pick there. Danny, anyone uh, have anything to add? I mean, I can say this. The Chargers camp was very disappointed to see Isaiah Simmons come off the board at four. <laughs> yeah, that threw a wrench, I think, in a lot of sockets. So, um, with that being said, Caroline is on the clock. And, Cortland, that means you're up here. What are you doing, sir? All right, well, I'm going to go with the best run-stopping musical lineman there is in the draft. I think it's Derek Brown. I'll go ahead and tell you why. Um, Carolina has a little bit of a rebuild to do on defense, and I think by stirring up the defensive line and keeping those, you know, those linebackers uh, by being mauled by those second defenders, I mean, by that I'm talking about just, you know, those guys coming off the guards and the centers working on double teams. If we can get a big guy to eat up double teams constantly, maybe even triple teams like Derrick Brown's been doing the last two, three years at Auburn, we'll have a little bit of success. And we'll be able to work a younger linebacker at some point. So we go with Derrick Brown at number seven. And once again, sticking with the status quo here, uh, most mocks have Derrick Brown going to Carolina. So think this is just us not overthinking anything but uh Jared Brown's going to be a, a longtime starter in this league one of the things I love about him is his versatility uh because Cortland and I were actually talking about this earlier regarding um Tampa Bay and their offensive line you know right now in the NFL you're seeing odd fronts across the league there's not too many teams that play an even front anymore but in Derek, Derek Brown's case, regardless of what the Panthers do, they can plug him anywhere. If he's in a 3-4, he can play the nose. He can play the end. He, and then in the 4-3, you stick him at DT. He's a very versatile player. So um, I think if Carolina does land him, which I think ultimately happens, barring anything crazy, I think that's a hell of a pick for them and a great piece to start building that defense around. Uh, Danny or Matt, anything to add? I think he's a stud defensive tackle, and he's going to be a force on that defense for 10, 12 years. And as always, it comes at the expense of the Saints. Yeah, he's, he's a day-one production guy. and I mean, like you said, it's a no-brainer for Carolina there. So that being said, we are now to the eighth pick, and uh, the Cardinals are on the clock, and that means, Matt, you are on the board. What are you doing here with Arizona? I had a tough, tough time deciding between two prospects, but seeing as we spent uh, number one overall pick last year in Kyler Murray for quarterback, I'm going to go ahead and uh, shore up that investment and get Tristan Wirfs, offensive lineman from Iowa. He got picked. Now, I know we had DJ Humphrey starting at tackle, but can he really stay healthy? Not 100% sure. I don't know if he's you know, that excellent of a tackle to begin with, so... You know, maybe we have a little ta- uh, little competition for the tackle spot. If not, we can slide him outside. A lot of people say they can move him to inside the guard, kind of like Brandon Sheriff a couple years ago. And if I do have to move him inside the guard, I know I'll probably have a top five guard for years to come at the Pro Bowl level. Well, that would be good in theory, Matt, but the problem is he got picked six by the Chargers. Cricket. No Did I really just do that? <laughs> And I am not cutting that. It's the NFL is a digital draft. We, we already oh got, we got seven more picks in before the NFL had their first blunder. <laughs> we had one blunder, but we did better than the NFL. I I, I completely agree. So uh, Matt, I'll give you I'll give you the mulligan here. Wills and 
<laughs> he wrote down the wrong name. All right, so so Jedrick Wills uh, of Alabama, which I think is the good pick. I mean, he gives them someone who can play both a left and right tackle. Um, but that being said, um, Matt, it's okay. We'll forgive you. You get your one mulligan. But if it happens again, well, we're going full NFL rules here, and you're losing your pick. It's as if the time expired. <laughs> But um, that being said, Falcons are on the clock next as there was a trade that happened a little bit earlier. And uh, that means for the Falcons, Matt, you're on the clock again. So I hope you know who's on the board this time. But talk about that trade that you made. All right. So I think I'll go Tristan Wirfs here. He can play all over the line. (laughs) (laughs) For this pick. I'll go ahead and I'll take C.J. Henderson, cornerback out of Florida, and I'll only give you three words as to why I picked him, and that's Brady, Breeze, Bridgewater. Simple, straight to the point. Um, I don't have the details of the trade in front of me, uh, but Danny, I know you originally made that deal, so what, what were the details of that trade? Yeah, so... I originally had the ninth pick with Jacksonville. I went ahead and traded the ninth pick and my 2021 fifth-round pick for pick 16, pick 78, which is a third-round pick in this year's draft, and a 2021 uh, third-round pick for Atlanta. So now Jacksonville goes into next year's draft with two ones, two threes, two fours. Boom, making the moves. Uh, With that being said, it is the 10th pick, and I have the luxury of picking for... The Cleveland Browns here, uh, with there not being any trade-ups available that I was willing to pull the trigger on, uh, we're just going to go ahead and run the last of the big four um, as far as tackles go off the board. Or, excuse me, no, there's still one left, so now I have a decision to make. Um, I am going to take Andrew Thomas offensive tackle with Georgia. Um A lot of people think he is going to be the best offensive tackle of this class. May not be the first one taken, but I've seen a lot of people talk very highly of Thomas. Um, One of the things that you can say about him is he's blocked for a handful of great running backs that have come out of Georgia in the last couple of years. Um, Can play both sides of the line, so I think that gives them the flexibility that they may be looking for. But the reality is the red zone offense for... The Browns was terrible last year. I think on the last podcast, uh, Matt had made reference to this, that the Browns gave the ball to um, Chubb, I think, 14 times. He gained 15 yards. He didn't have much running room. Uh, Another big factor for Baker Mayfield's failures this year was the lack of red zone success. He only threw um, a handful of touchdowns in the red zone this year, and... He struggled there, and if you look across the board at some of the other measurables, like against the blitz, against pressure, um, his accuracy, his on-target throws, two big things that hindered him was the red zone and the drop rate for Cleveland. So I think this helps one of those areas. So I'll take Andrew Thomas here um, over uh, Makai Beckton. So with that being said, uh, does anyone have any uh, thing to say? After we round out our top 10 picks for this year draft, Matt, we'll start with you. Uh, so starting with that pick, I'll say it's the perfect pick for the Browns. 
glaring hole offensive tackle. I really don't know how you draft any other position out of that, but uh, pretty status quo for the top ten. I don't really think you see many shakeups except uh, Tristan Wirfs getting drafted twice, which is a first. It's pretty amazing. But uh, I think it went pretty pretty status quo. To, and I, I think these trades you might actually end up seeing on draft night. So, Danny, like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with Matt. It's a no-brainer, but I also think that Andrew Thomas is the ideal tackle that the Browns are looking at right now. I think he fits in perfectly with them and Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb are very, very happy people with that pick. And Cortland, last to hear from for the first 10 picks and more specifically, pick number 10. What's your thoughts? I'm excited about it, man, because, you know, tackles are, you know, they're down a dozen and to have a guy who can play both left and right in the NFL is extremely hard to play that, um, especially, you know, going up into the AFC North where defense is a thing. Uh, he's going to have to face, you know, some of the best defensive, uh, defensive ends in the league year in and year out. And, you know, to be able to compete, the Browns have to show up anything they can do. Uh, they can't bust on any more draft picks, and I think this is one that they can actually say, hey, this is the safest pick we can go, and just try to be as safe as possible from now on. And, I mean, I think that's the status quo with a lot of the successful teams. They don't necessarily go for the sexy picks, you know. No one no one in the top ten ever heralds an offensive line pick, but I think the overwhelming majority of smarter fans understand it. So I think um, with our ten, I think you're going to see a lot of that happen come draft day, a lot of realities happening there. Um, Miami could very easily trade up. The Falcons could trade up. Um, to that nine spot is being rumored very heavily right now. So with that being said, we'll go ahead and continue. Court, it's been a while since we've had you make a pick here, uh, but you're on the clock with the uh, good old New York Jets. So uh, what is the pick here? Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm torn between these two picks. Uh, me and you was talking wide receiver last night specifically. Uh, we was talking about the receivers we like. Um, the receivers class is extremely deep. And the one guy I'm going to go with, and I'm explaining to you why I will go with him, uh, I'm going to go with Jerry Judy at number 11. I'll tell you why. Although Jerry Judy's production did drop off a bit from 2018 to 2019, he is the most polished receiver there is. Uh, Sam Donald needs a rookie to come in and complete like a vet, if that makes sense. He needs a polished receiver. He needs the best route-running receiver there is in the, in the draft. And Jerry Judy is that guy. Uh, C.D. Lamb was a close guy. I was really looking at just because of his explosive playmaking ability. But Jerry Judy is also a guy who's extremely hard to get uh, down to the ground after, you know, just one tackler. It's not going to happen. So he's one of those guys who can take it 60, and I think uh, the Jets are desperately in need of a receiver who can do something for him. And the Jets, I think it's going to be an interesting pick uh, for them, um, you know, depending on who's there, because I think one of the realities that could potentially happen is Jerry Judy's off the board by 11. Uh, one of the biggest rumors I've been seeing is Denver. Um, Woody Page actually broke this, saying that Denver is looking to trade up with the Cardinals to nab Jerry Judy. Now, if we remember, Woody Page did break accurately the story last year that they were looking to trade up for for Noah Fant. Um, 
So I'm curious to see if that happens. But if Jerry Judy does fall to 11 in the Jets' lap, or in this case, if there's one of the top four tackles on the board or Judy, they're going to have a decision to make. But if all those tackles are gone and Judy's there, I mean, I think that's a surefire thing to happen. Judy's a Judy's. I mean, I think no matter what, he's going to be the first receiver off the board. I would be utterly surprised if he isn't. He's got the production uh, value there, but even with that drop-off, I think he's still easily the number one prospect off the board as far as receivers go. Um, Matt, you have anything you got to say about uh, good old Jerry Judy being off the board here? I will say uh, the Oakland Raiders are a tad bit upset that he – went off the board. I think he's, he's probably bar none the best receiver in the draft. He's, he's a route god. Chris Brown's probably runs the best routes out of, out of any receiver, you know, by a mile. Uh, played in the SEC, so he's had great production in the SEC. I think he's day one starter. Definite Pro Bowl potential. Great pick. And, um, Danny, anything you'd like to add about this one? Uh, just, just basically echoing what was already said, you know, with Judy. Uh, they're saying he's the best route runner to come out. Maybe, you know, in the modern era, he gets compared to Calvin Ridley. And I don't know if you guys remember how how much Ridley was heralded for his route running. Also, I, I like Judy because for him playing a wide receiver position, which is normally a loud position, see Antonio Brown, he's a fairly quiet guy. Uh, you know, I think he's going to fit in nice, give Darnold a weapon, and you know, the Jets are happy with the pick, of course. And that being said, uh, the Raiders are on the clock. And as Matt alluded to earlier, he was a little upset that Jerry Judy did not fall. So, Matt, who's coming off the board at 12? What are the Raiders? What are you, Mike Mayock, and John Gruden doing to either sure up that defense or perfectly execute Spider 2Y Banana? So, with pick 12... The Oakland, uh, formerly Oakland Raiders, now Las Vegas Raiders, will go ahead and select C.D. Lamb, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. You son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I almost, almost picked another prospect, but decided to go receiver here. Uh, I think that offense just needs a little juice. Definitely don't think they have a true number one receiver on the team right now. Uh, Tyron Williams, I, I do think it's a good receiver, but at best he's a number two. This finally gives them the number one that they desperately crave. Uh, could give Derek Carr his best target since probably Michael Crabtree a few years ago. Uh, I think this offense definitely gets rejuvenated, uh, can put some points on the board. So I don't think it was really that much of a decision to go wide receiver here. No, for sure. Uh, Lamb, I think if he falls to them at 12, I think it's a lock if any of those, either Judy or Lamb, um, if they're sitting there without both of them on the board, I think they can maybe consider other avenues or maybe even a possible trade down. Um, but I, I think Lamb's the smart pick here. Uh, Cortland, what about you, man? I think it's a good pick, man. I, I think any one of these receivers, I know that the West Coast really was in dire need of receivers. Uh I think we can see as many as four or five receivers going the first round. So I think any one of those guys with safe picks, uh, I think C.D. Lamb is going to be one of those guys you can go for, you know, pick a guy, you know, 80 yards down the field, you know, and look to the second. So hopefully that Barry Carr can be that guy that can push the ball vertically and make some explosive plays for him. Yeah, I, I think one of the things you mentioned with, with Lamb is his vertical ability. Carr's got – got a pretty big cannon but 
we haven't seen Oakland really be able to utilize that. I mean, Williams is good, like Matt said. He's more of a second-tier receiver. And then you have Hunter Renfro, which let, let's call Hunter Renfro what he is. He's the typical white receiver. He's going to run across the middle, keep things short to intermediate, be, be very much that possession guy and that situationally great receiver. But they're they're lacking that downfield option. And if they get C.D. Lamb, dude, that's going to be huge. So, um, Danny, where's where's your head at? I mean, yeah, I, I think C.D. Lamb should be the pick. Um, the Raiders... You know, the old Al Davis Raiders probably go with Henry Ruggs just because he believes, you know, speed kills. But I think, uh, you know, you're you're getting a quality receiver, really, in, with either of them. I just think Lamb's a little bit more diverse than Ruggs. So I, I like that pick right there at 12. And with that being said, um, next up on the clock is the – San Francisco 49ers, and uh, as I alluded to by saying, oh, fuck, I was hoping C.D. Lamb would fall. Not surprised he didn't, but the pick is mine, and one of the biggest things that I think the 49ers are going to miss this year was who they traded, Um, and that was uh, uh, DeForest Buckner. Uh, Before the draft happened, they traded him to the Colts, um, so I'm going to just address that need for the Niners because I think this is going to be the pick if he does fall this far, um, and that's uh, Javon Kinlaw of South Carolina, defensive tackle. They're going to need someone to plug on that defensive line. I, I know secondary is a big need for them. Um, C.J. Henderson, I think, could be the pick for them if he's available um, as well. But with him being off the board, I think Kinlaw is probably the right play here. So uh, with number 13, I got the 49ers taking Kinlaw here. So um, I'll open up the floor uh, to Matt. What's uh, what's your thoughts on this one? I think uh, that's great value uh, at that spot. I think Kinlaw's going to step in and, and fill that role that that Buckner had. I feel like pre damn well. I think the rich get richer is, is probably a good quote to use right here because that defense is just how much more nasty can it get from here on out. For sure. Corlin, what about you? I think it's a great pick, man. I mean, as far as filling the need and replacing a guy with cheaper value and, and getting the true value of the pick, I think it's, it, make, it just makes too much sense. And then next up, we have Danny, who is on the clock with Tampa Bay. Uh, so I'll let you talk about the last pick, and then you can dive right into your next pick. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually bummed Kinlaw just came off the board. I was hoping that San Fran was going to go receiver there and have uh, Kinlaw kind of fall on the Jags lap at, at 16. That would have been a perfect trade scenario, creating back from nine. But you, uh, that's, that's the beauty of the draft. That being said, with the 14th pick, Tampa Bay on the clock, you heard about the fireworks today with Gronkowski joining. You know that they have Tom Brady. You know that they have great wide receivers. They have, you know, pretty pretty decent defense. I, I'll actually say a pretty good defense, great linebackers. I think they're going to shore up the, uh, the offensive line here and grab the last of those big four that you're talking about. I'm going to take Mackie Beck- Beckton here. 14 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, I, I mean, I if you didn't make that pick, I was honestly going to slap you the next time I saw you when, you know, 
when that may be, but yeah, that's that's the right play there. I mean, if someone like that falls in Tampa Bay's lap at 14 and they don't have to trade up to get him, which I think is a possibility come draft day, if they get one of those big four guys, I think that's a huge, huge, huge win for uh, Tampa Bay. So, you know, taking Becton there, big win for Tampa Bay in this draft. Uh, Matt, what about you, man? Where's your head at? Uh, I think you'd certainly need to protect Tom Brady and get another offensive lineman, even though that offensive line I think is, is pretty good as it stands. I think it's a perfect pick. Uh, you could say maybe he slid a little bit because of uh, that test that ended up coming back from the draft combine. So I think it's pretty good value for how supreme of an athlete and how uh, high his ceiling is. Absolutely. And Cortland, curious to hear your take on this one because one of the things you and I talked about uh, before we started this was the Tampa Bay offensive line. You know, last year they ranked pretty well because um, guard to guard they were good. But one of the points you brought up, and it's a fair point, is a lot of the teams they play, um, which I alluded to earlier, they play those odd fronts. You know, you don't see a lot of teams play those even fronts like Minnesota um, who have those those quote-unquote NASCAR guys who just pin their ears back and go like uh, Daniil Hunter. But, um, you know, one of the weaker spots of that line were the two tackles um, last season. So shoring up that line, I mean, that's something you and I have already talked about prior to this draft happening. So, um, you know, what's what's kind of your thoughts on this one on uh, Becton falling here? Well, I mean, it's the, it's the perfect scenario for Tampa Bay. You know, they don't have to really reach to get a guy that, you know, could be an immediate value drop or, you know, just make it just a true bust pick. But I think Makai Beckton is the best pick. I'll tell you why. Because, like you said, playing iPhone, playing NFC South, you have to make sure you can have some extra protection. Uh, Tom Brady is not 30 years old. You know, he's legitimately 43 years old. So he's going to be a guy who's going to have to have, you know, the utmost protection. Uh, to have possibly six or seven guys who can go and play for them now. So Tampa Bay have to definitely spend at least two three picks on off the line in this draft. I think this is a great start for them. And that being said, Court, you're on the clock with the Denver Broncos. So who's the pick here? Yeah, I'm not going to waste too much time. I'm going to go with Henry Ruggs. Um, I'll tell you why. Uh, it's going to make that dynamic receiver duo that Denver's been dying for. Uh, we have Cortland Sutton. He's been, you know, finally become a playmaker, football ability. Now you take a guy like Henry Ruggs, who's literally the fastest guy on the field, who uh, can legitimately blow the top of all the defenses. And I think that's something that everyone's been desperately needing. Uh, they've been run heavy for a number of years. But now you can stop facing those 70 men box, get a guy like Henry Ruggs, who can really blow the top off, and, you know, you can have a little bit more success facing five, six men box. And uh, actually giving you, you know, some little running lanes for, uh, you know, Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon in their addition. That's going to be a very interesting to see how, that, you know, that all moves together. you got a guy like Melvin Gordon who's a receiving back. Are they going to swing around a little bit? Who knows? But you got another guy like Henry Ruggs. The offense is a little bit better now with Drew Locke. Uh, it's going to be taking over starting role from the Broncos. That offense, you know, I think they go receiver round one, and I think that was the right call getting rugs, but that offense is going to be fun to watch in the coming years. Uh, I like Drew Locke a lot. He looked really good last year. Um, 
you know, he was definitely one of the better rookie quarterbacks and kind of one of the unsung rookie quarterbacks, if you will. And he's got plenty of toys to play with. He's got Sutton. He's got Gordon. He's got Noah Fant. Uh, so shoring up that receiver, and if they get somebody like Ruggs, watch the hell out. That offense could be explosive. Um, and I'll tell you one thing, too, just to kind of give you one little stat. Yeah, one drop last year. Hey, sure hands, man. Can't beat that. The only thing is, uh, the only thing is, Alabama as a team, they haven't really faced too much man coverage. Uh, the only time you've seen that maybe was a little bit of Derek Stingley and some of those guys. But as far as man coverage, it's going to be interesting to see if he gets off. Uh, if he's lucky, he doesn't have to face the corners of uh, Jalen Ramsey and those guys, you know, former AFC South. But let's see how he goes. Now, uh, with that being said, we'll go ahead and just move on to the next pick here. Um, so earlier, uh, we saw the Falcons trade up into the top 10 uh, to grab that number nine pick and grab C.J. Henderson. So that means we're coming back to the Jags, who traded down in this one. Uh, Danny, you're on the clock. What are the Jags doing with 16? Yeah, so it's no secret the Jags are in full rebuild mode, right? Uh, they traded back, they accumulated some more picks. They already had 12 picks going into the draft before the trade. That being said, I'm looking at their team needs. Uh, outside linebacker, Simmons is off the board. Cornerback, Henderson and Okudo off the board. D-tackle, you saw Brown and uh, and Kinlaw just go. Um, the other position you might see is a quarterback. I think they're going with Minshew this year, and they're going all in on Trevor Lawrence next year. So you're going you're to see the first what I'll say real reach of the draft, but I look at the Jags, they're trying to turn over that locker room, trying to get rid of some of the locker room cancers, and they're going to grab a guy here, probably a little earlier than they should, but a high-character guy, and I really like him. I think he's one of the most sound prospects of the draft. Saints fans are going to be upset. I'm going (laughs) Kenneth Murray, outside linebacker, Oklahoma at 16. Uh Ooh. That's that's a solid pick. That's that is not something I was expecting. I had I I was actually looking at somebody uh, a little bit different on my board, but uh, I think Kenneth Kenneth Murray's great. I mean, if if he falls into the Saints' lap at twenty four, I'm gonna be a very happy. Um, if they do get Kenneth Murray later in the draft, but it's very raw. Um, obviously, it's kind of a toss-up between who do you like more between him and Patrick Queen. Uh, Patrick Queen has a little bit better instincts, a little bit um, better football IQ, but Kenneth Murray's such an explosive and raw prospect, um, and just he he has the the long athletic build that I think just makes. Uh, GMs and scouts kind of salivate over him, and rightfully so. So I think Jacksonville grabbing him at 16, uh, I I like the pick. It is a little bit of a reach, but you get good value there. And I think, like you said, biggest problem right now with the Jags is locker room cancer. So get rid of them and start fresh. So, um, Matt, what's uh, what's your take on this one? I think it's. Uh, I don't think it's too much of a reach. Uh, I think it fills a immediate need. We saw what happened to that defense when Telvin Smith ended up with that uh, sudden retirement. Uh, I think he could end up being a great piece next to Miles Jack. Gives you a pretty good linebacking unit. And uh, like Danny said, that team is rebuilding, so I think you get a nice piece to kind of mold the defense around, and it gives you one of those one of those kind of knockers in the middle. And Court, what about you, man? Uh, 
you know, you're on the clock next with Dallas. Uh, but before you hop onto that pick, how do you feel about Murray going here and then uh, jump right into your pick with Dallas at 17? I think it's a great pick, man. I'll tell you why, because I really don't think that, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars are that far off how many people think they are. I think they're really doing uh, kind of like a crash course of drafting, you know, kind of like a Madden draft. I feel like they're just kind of just, hey, we're all up for sale, garage sale style. But at the same time, uh, when you get a couple guys who can just come in there and immediately culture change, like Kenneth Murray, uh, who's played some of the, just played against some of the smartest quarterbacks in college football, um, I mean, by that, he's played in the Big 12. He's going to see a couple guys checking in, checking out. He knows the communication between quarterback and center. He's seen that years and years out. And I think the experience that he brings to the Jacksonville defense, I think that's going to be very important to him. And he's a young leader who can kind of rally around and kind of, you know, get a locker room going like that. So that's a really good point. So I think it's a great pick. Don't think it's a reach, but I think it's a really good pick. Now, what's up next for uh, good old Dallas as you're on the clock? Uh, to Dallas, um, I'm going to go with Grant Delpit uh, here at 17. I'll tell you why. Uh, obviously, we lost a guy like Byron Jones. I'm going to look to see if we can fill any type of secondary need. I think Grant Delpit falls to us uh, because of the nagging shoulder injuries he's dealt with in 2019. I think with, uh, you know, a, a year of recovery, I think he can be a top 10, uh, top 15, uh, you know, safety when it's all said and done with next year. Um, he brings an immediate presence. Um, he can fly around, play man-free, come around, tackle, and make you know, cup tackles in the box. So I think he gives him a lot of good uh, diversity on defense that he's been dying to have. All right, and then uh, you're actually up again here uh, after taking Delpit with Dallas. I'll let you just jump right into your pick here. Um, the Lions are back on the clock after I traded um, after I traded up from five to grab Tua earlier. Uh, you received the 18th pick, which was originally held by Miami. So, Cortland, what are you doing with the Lions here? All right, with the Lions, I think uh – you know, like I said, we needed secondary help. Uh, corner safety was really the issue with us. I think that um, we do need something in the middle. Uh, I think I'm going to go with a guy by the name of Zach Bowen. Um, I'll tell you why. He's a very, very sure tackler. I think uh, when you mix him and Jeff Okuda, that's kind of putting the middle pole of your defense. You kind of you know, finally layering out your defense and putting some guys who can make plays uh, on defense immediately. And uh, Zach Bond's one of those guys who can, you know, get 10 to 12 tackles per game. Uh, I, I really wish Kenneth Murray was going to fall here. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I'll go with Zach Bond. Hey, a little bit of a reach, but one of the things you did mention is the sure tackling. He's a Wisconsin guy. He plays in the Big Ten. Uh, and in the Big Ten, we already know that teams like to run the ball, and they like to run it north-south. So he's got experience um, stopping the run. And, I mean, it from a as silly as it is from a weather standpoint, I mean, I think that makes sense because you got a guy who's used to playing in Wisconsin. He's going to be dealing with some cold-weather football. So, so I, I think that's a solid pick. Um, I do think it's a little bit of a reach, but overall it, it does make sense. And, 
if you're you want your guy who can be a sure tackler and plug the middle that's that seems to be the right fit so um danny what's uh what's your thoughts on this one yeah i i mean i like the delta pick back going back to dallas i had uh xavier mckinney the, the safety out of alabama going there um i think they're one and one a i like delta there vaughn i mean yeah i think i think what you're seeing with vaughn is just a sure thing and i think it's because because he's not anything flashy he is just that rough and tumble classic wisconsin backer um i think it actually just kind of kept his draft stock kind of stagnant so yeah i mean maybe a little bit of a reach but this is what you see in the draft, you know, guys that are ranked in the, the top, you know, one through 50 or 60. If a team likes them, they go up and grab them. I, I have no problem with that pick. Matt, what about you? Agreed. Matt, where's your head at? I think it's a it's a good pick as well. Uh, you need kind of that leader on the defense, and I don't know if they have really too many of those guys on the lines right now. Uh, maybe you could say Trey Flowers. uh but I think it's a good pick. It gives you a guy up the middle that's going to, you know, go ahead and, and make every tackle, not going to miss tackles, maybe becomes a 100-tackle guy, and what team doesn't need that? Now, Matt, you're up on the clock again with the Raiders, uh, Las Vegas Raiders at pick 19. Uh, earlier you had C.D. Lamb go 12 to you, so what's going to happen with number 19, man? So looking at defense on this one and uh, looking at the roster, I think Mayock's done a really good job at kind of filling out that defense. Got some some good values last year in the draft. And I was looking at corner, and uh, there's a couple of prospects here. A few of them scare me. But one uh, one guy I'm going to go ahead with is Jeff Gladney, corner, TCU. Looked at Christian Fulton here, but... Uh, kind of injuries I know concern me a little bit he did have that issue with the failed drug test or the uh, like the urine swap at LSU which kind of makes you look at his character and, and judgment AJ Terrell kind of fell out of love with him after watching him in the national championship kind of just gets worked by LSU and and I'm not quite sure if, if he does that against LSU when which says that pro level talent how are you going to hold up in the NFL but uh, one thing Gladney did do when he went up against CeeDee Lamb, I believe he held him to less than 50 yards. I think maybe he had 20 or 30 yards for that game. So it lets you think that, hey, this guy can, can cover the number one receiver. Uh, I didn't really see any total glaring holes with the Raiders team. Thought about quarterback, couldn't quite pull the trigger. There's nobody I love that's uh, kind of left in this draft. So corner definitely fills the need. All right, and uh, I was a little I was a little taken back by Gladney. Uh, one of the guys that I actually have the Raiders taking, uh, if he's available, depending on what they do, you know, obviously whether they move or not is going to play a question to that. But I do think they they in real life go with uh, AJ Terrell because of the love affair that the Raiders seem to have with Clemson guys, and one of the things that's been said about Mayock is. He likes guys on championship-level teams, so I think that would play a big factor. Uh, however, Gladney, I think, is a sound pick. I, I do like him, um, as I, I don't think he falls out of the first round no matter what because I think that corner is going to be a big position that a lot of teams look to get, especially in the back half. So, uh, But Raiders taking Gladney, I think, makes a lot of sense in many ways. Um, Corlin, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on this one? 
I think the Raiders are doing a really good job. Like my guy said, you know, just trying to layer their defense out and it's been doing a really good job of building depth. Um, I think this pick makes a lot of sense, especially when they fall out on a guy like Eli Apple and free agency. It didn't really work out. So they go out there to get some good value at a, for a rookie cornerback and a guy like Jeff Gladney, who's seen speed all over the place in the Big 12. He's faced numerous speed as receivers, even in practice. I think a lot of people forget about that. But um, he's ready. He's ready to see a lot of guys, you know, man-to-man coverage. I think that's something that he'll be able to bring to the day one starter. And Danny, what's uh, what's your take on Gladney? And then you're next on the clock with the Jags. So uh, talk about Gladney and then dive right into yours, man. Yeah, so kudos to Matt for the biggest tease job of the draft so far because he told us that he was going corner. I had the same thought as you, Mike. Corner, Mayock, you know, AJ Terrell made sense. But I like Gladney a lot, so I like that pick. Uh, going on to the 20th pick with the Jags, Guys, we have a run of cornerbacks in the draft. Coming in at 20 is a guy who I like. He's a little raw, but I like his, uh, you know, approach to when the ball's in the air. We lost, you know, the Jags lost both Ramsey and A.J. Bouye. They have to address the corner spot. They do it here, and they go with Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback out of Alabama, pick 20. Well, uh, you know, I, I you and I have talked a little uh, quite a bit about them taking digs with that 20th pick. Um, and again, that's the second kind of raw prospect, if you will. But that's two very athletic guys with plenty of upside. So um, I think Diggs is a good pick. I mean, I think you have some more sure weapons there. But desperate times call for desperate measures, as they say. And I think the Jags going for those those home run type prospects, I don't think is is a bad move here given their state. So um, I, I like the Diggs pick here. Uh, Matt, let's go back to you, man. What do you think of this one? Uh, I think it's a good pick. Uh, you can definitely say NFL bloodline with his brother being a uh, wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, he comes from Alabama, which seems to be NFL talent factory. Uh, there's a lot of great corners that have come out of there lately, so I, I kind of expect them to follow suit. I think it was it was pretty apparent that a quarterback was needed at this spot, so I think it's a good pick. And court, let's go to you, man. I think Jacksonville uh, Jaguars doing a good job as far as you know addressing their needs, not necessarily reaching for sexy picks. I think they really need to figure out you know their identity on defense, and I think they're doing it right now as far as you know bringing young guys ready to win, who's been around a winning culture, is ready to compete. He's out. And then next up, uh, Philadelphia Eagles on the clock. That is my pick. And, uh, man, I, I, I mean, this is tough because the big need for the, uh, for the Eagles right now is the receiver position. And I'm honestly looking at uh, two guys here that make a lot of sense. Um, I think, oh, man, this is rough. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Denzel Mims here um, because Mims gives Wentz a bigger body to throw to. Um, I think this is a little early for him, perhaps. Um, with Rugs being off the board, that was kind of the guy I've been eyeing for the Eagles. But Mims, I think, gives them that big body receiver uh, that that they need. Um, you know, Wentz is 
sort of seen that receiving core deplete. Um, so it was kind of a debate between him and Justin Jefferson. But one of the biggest things, uh, knocks on Jefferson is the number of routes he ran out of the slot, his ability to create separation. Now he does play the ball at the highest point with his long body. Uh, and he's great against zone defenses, but when face man to man, when pressed, is he going to be able to create that separation? So I, it was kind of a toss up there, but I'm going to go with Mims for the Eagles, given who's on the board here. Um, and uh, Danny, let's open the floor to you. What you think? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with the pick there. I think it was no hidden secret that the Eagles needed a, a receiver. If they don't pick a receiver in the first round on on Thursday, I'm going to be shocked. You can make a case for Jefferson, but it is Jefferson or Mims at this point. You do have great receivers in this draft, but after that, you're looking at like Jalen Rager, T. Higgins, guys that um, have pro potential, but I think the last of the kind of tier two guys being Jefferson and Mims are right there. Uh, I like the pick, you know, Mims makes sense for Philly there at at 21. And Corlin, what's, uh, what's your take here? I think Mims makes sense as far as a body type, uh, situation sign. Uh, Philadelphia has five of the biggest receivers, bigger receivers, uh, more notable being Alston Jeffrey, uh, then to kind of bring a clone like him in and kind of mimic that size, that ability to kind of, Bale Carson wins out of trouble whenever he's kind of, you know, sailing a couple balls here. But he likes big targets, uh, obviously, and I think it's one of those guys in his arsenal who can actually be a playmaker down the road Now, Matt, uh, you know, you're on the clock next. Before you get on with your pick, number 22 with the Vikings, uh, you know, talk about this pick with Mims. What you thinking? I think it's it's 100% what they needed. They certainly needed another receiver in that offense. Uh, you lose Nelson Aguilar, although I would say a lot of Philly fans would say that's definitely not a, not a bad thing. <laughs> and then you have Alshon Zephyr, who, who seems to be banged up a lot as of late, if not you know for his entire career. So I think getting a, a receiver in the first round, perfect pick. This guy's got a huge body. Uh, like my man was saying, at 6'3", he ran a sub four four forty. So you know that you can run up and down the field. So I don't see how you couldn't go receiver. And then with that, man, you're on the clock with 22 with the Vikings. And then with that, I'll go ahead and select uh, Clavon Chason, LSU, defensive end or edge rusher. A little bit of a shakeup. I know uh, a lot of people are probably thinking receiver because they go ahead and get rid of – get rid of digs but i'll go ahead and say uh chase on go ahead and dip in the well again for lsu uh prospects last time they went ahead and got one they got to neil hunter he was an animal off the edge now uh they did have to lose a couple of pieces on defense because just money trouble cap trouble so i think this helps them reload a little bit helps offset the loss of everson griffin uh helps reload that defensive line because i think you certainly need to get to the quarterback in today's game uh need to go ahead and disrupt the quarterback throwing the ball. So get a little bit of a shakeup here, and I'll go edge rusher. I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Um, you know, with uh, I, I actually thought Chasson was going to go uh, 16 to Danny at with the Jags. Um, I thought that would have been a solid pick for them to pair along with Josh Allen, given that he fell. Um, so when he selected Murray, I kind of just saw him free-falling here, just kind of picking what what team was going to grab him. But Vikings, I think, 
does make a lot of sense if he falls. And given that you've seen some of the better cornerbacks go off the board, um, why not cheer up your pass rush? You know, if you're not going to get one of the top flight prospects at corner here, nor are you going to get one of the top flight receivers here, you know, why not take, uh, in this case, one of the best available guys on the board? especially a pass rusher. We know how important they are, and pairing him along with Daniil Hunter, and I was talking about this with Corlin earlier um, when we were talking about schemes and the odd and even fronts in the league. Vikings won run, run one of the fewer even fronts in the league, and Daniil Hunter is one of the best pass rushers in the league, bar none. So pairing that along uh, with Chasson, I think that could be a huge win if he does fall there. So, um, Matt, what? Uh, I mean, uh, Danny, what's your take on this one? Yeah, I mean, I I like uh, Chasson a lot. Uh, I did entertain him, you know, with the Jags there. Uh, I think, you know, it, I mean, you get to pair him, like you said, with Hunter. That's pretty solid. You just lost Everson Griffin, at least uh, temporarily. I don't, I don't know if he will resign with them. There's rumors he will, he won't. Uh, I, I like it, and I think you're getting not only a position of need for the Vikings here, but you could argue one of the best, best available players at this point too, at this stage in the draft. So solid pick there. Court, what's, uh, what's your take? I think it's a great take, man. As far as Showing up, you pass rush. You can never be short on pass rushers. So I have to pass rushers. So what I mean by that is, you, you want to always have you know two or three guys you can rotate in uh, every couple plays just to give them a fresh go. And Shay uh, Sean is a perfect guy to do that. So I think the Vikings are you know doing a smart deed here by actually shedding a little bit of money that they can spend a little bit later down the road on some decent free agents and building uh, up with the young core. I think it's a smart move. Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you, and now we have the Patriots on the clock at 23, and uh, the Patriots will be selected by Danny. And uh, here's what's interesting before we kind of move on from here. Um, we do have two quarterbacks uh, still on the board with uh, Justin Herbert, who had a free fall, which I could see happening in real life. So Herbert's still on the board. You still have Jordan Love still on the board. So, Danny, with that being said, 23, what are the Patriots doing here? All right. So now, sitting here, Patriots at pick 23. We just struck a deal with the Indianapolis Colts, something that you see the Patriots do quite a bit on draft day. Here's what we did. We traded pick 23, moved back, and addressed it. We picked up picks 34 and 44, And we swapped a couple conditional 2021 picks. So now at pick 23, the Indianapolis Colts are on the clock. And seeing as how I had the Colts, um, yeah, I mean, with two quarterbacks on the board here, uh, it makes sense for the Colts in a lot of ways. And this is something that realistically could happen come draft day if they do have their guy on the board. Um, And with that being said, the Colts are going to need a quarterback uh, for the near future. They do have Phillip Rivers, who I think is going to be one, maybe two-year rental at best. Um, They do have a team that's good enough to to win games. I mean, they were competitive last year, and uh, Jacoby Brissett was good early on, and then the tires just sort of fell off, if you will. 
Uh, but the guy that I'm selecting to sit behind Rivers and learn a little bit is going to be someone who I think is a little bit more raw than he should be um, and someone who, in all likelihood, was projected to go in the top 10, and that is Justin Herbert to the Colts here at 23. So Herbert finally... His weight is over. He's on the Indianapolis Colts. Um, so now let's kind of talk about this and the free fall. Uh, and we can take a little bit more time to dive in on him. Um, Cortland, let's start with you. I'm shocked by Justin Herbert. I don't think it's too much of a free fall, but I think he's coming into the perfect situation. Not too much pressure to play now. Just kind of sit back and learn beyond a veteran, maybe a year or two. And get it to actually develop and uh, develop a sense under the, one of the greatest quarterback coaches in Frank Wright. So I think he falls into an ideal situation where he's uh, in a veteran filled locker room uh, with guys that have experienced guys who's going to help him out and ease his transition to the NFL. And I think he's in a great situation. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, Matt will go to you now. What's your take on this? You know, Herbert, the free fall, and him going to the Colts. Well, one thing I wonder is how much the uh, quarterback crop next year with Justin Fields and uh, and Lawrence have to play on him kind of dropping a little bit. These teams that then they say, well, we don't necessarily we like Herbert, we don't love him. Maybe we could go ahead and get away with whoever we have this year and just go ahead and get one of those studs next year. So I definitely wonder if that has something to do with it. I think it does a little bit, especially with, uh, with Jacksonville, as Danny was saying before, just kind of rolling with Minshew. But... I think it's a fantastic uh, job by the Colts to go ahead and jump back in. Like you were saying, Phillip Rivers, honestly, this is probably his last year. He might get another year uh, out of it. But Herbert, a little raw, gets, uh, gets a chance to learn behind a borderline Hall of Famer. Some could argue a Hall of Famer. I think it's a great spot where he doesn't have to go in and start right away. He can actually learn, kind of work those kinks out, see what the NFL's like so he doesn't get rushed in and, and his whole career kind of can fall apart from there. And one of the things you mentioned that I'll play on a little bit before we get to Danny's take on this. So, um, you know, right now the NFL is just not in a position where many teams need quarterbacks. Um, Lions are one, but again, if the Lions aren't great next year, make your play for Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Um and then Jags obviously being one that you mentioned. Again, you can kind of wait it out. See what you have with Minshew. I think that's the smarter play here. Don't reach now because at the end of the day, they own the Rams pick. They own their own pick. They could potentially have two of the top five picks next year. So why try to risk and throw it for a loop? Just start building now so when you do pick next year, you can potentially grab Fields or um, Trevor Lawrence, and I mean Trevor Lawrence, I think unequivocally goes number one next year. Um, some other options would be Washington, which again I don't think Washington's really going to be great next year. And I think you'll see what Dwayne Haskins is, um, and I just don't see it with him. I mean I think if Washington ends up with the top two pick, they can also go quarterback next year. So just this year is an odd year to take a quarterback. So just kind of playing off of that point a little bit. But Danny, go ahead. What's your take? on this one yeah so the trade obviously made sense uh herbert i could see just like you said i could actually see herbert picked in the top six right we said top 10 but top six could very well be a dolphin or a charger you know when he wakes up friday what's pretty interesting about this pick coincidentally is 
he's a Pac-12 quarterback that, you know, if he came out last year, was probably going number one by a lot of draft analysts. Mm-hmm. And he goes pick 23 here. There was a, there was a Pac-12 quarterback uh, a while back from the Cal Bears that had a draft day slide and went one spot later, yep. Aaron Rodgers. If, uh, and by the way, he had to play behind a guy who, you know, Hall of Famer Brett Favre. I'm not saying Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer, but he's surely no slouch. Uh, it's just a cool comparison to see. And I think, you know, the the Colts just turned their first and second pick in or first round and second round picks into DeForest, Bu- DeForest Buckner and Justin Herbert. They're happy with their draft. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's an a, a, an amazing point because a lot of times when teams try to trade up or they um, trade away those picks, what value are you really getting for them? And especially when you reach up in the draft because there's so much uncertainty, but grabbing DeForest Buckner, who is a proven defensive lineman, and then getting Herbert as late as they did, one, you don't have to deal with the same salary cap problem you would if you were picking him in the top five. Two, you get a quarterback who can sit behind Rivers. So yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, and that being said, next up is 24, the New Orleans Saints. And for probably a lot of people listening, Cortland, the pressure is on. What are you doing here with the Saints pick? All right. I'm going to go ahead and make this simple. I'll go with Patrick Queen, and I'll tell you why. Um, George Kittle, <laughs> and a couple of reasons why I say that is because, you know, NFL is going to a, a game where you have to cover as, as much space as possible in the field, and I think Patrick Queen gives you the athleticism and that flexibility to be able to play him in multiple positions as far as, you know, playing the drop linebacker, playing the weak side. Um, he'll come off from the strong side. He can blitz. He can cover. He can do a lot of different things. He's raw athleticism is uh, one of those things that can actually bring his upside to, hey, I can be in a Pro Bowl uh, at Calvary linebacker for years to come. But uh, I think this pick right here is, is truly based off of this one year. Um, it is a little bit scary pick, but I think it can actually pan out to be a, uh, a decent pick for us. So I'm going to go to the LSU Tiger. I know it's been a while since uh, the Saints ever drafted the LSU Tiger, but I'm going to go ahead and break that curse right here. Yeah, you know, uh, that was going to be the first point I brought up was the Saints don't typically go LSU. I think that I think in Sean Payton's tenure, they have one under their belt, and that's Will Clapp. Um, and it certainly wasn't a high-end pick. Uh, Devery Henderson was drafted under the Haslett era. So I, I don't know what it is. That's where my hesitance comes with, do the Saints actually pull the trigger on Patrick Queen? But then ironically enough, in the same breath, Another person I was kind of looking at is someone a lot of Saints fans want despite addressing that need of a number two receiver and, of course, Justin Jefferson, who's still on the board. Um, so, the reason why I stayed away from Justin Jefferson was because you went out, you signed a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. Okay? Give Traquan Smith a chance to prove himself he can work a slot. Okay? There's no reason. There's no reason to pick Justin Jefferson right now. I really think that he doesn't necessarily uh, do anything that's to help us win now. I think in today's NFL, Patrick Queen can help us win now more than Justin Jefferson could. I don't think Justin Jefferson gives us more wins. I think Patrick Queen gives us the ability to be able to do some different things on defense. Uh, I think with the addition of Malcolm Jenkins, things like that, I think that we have a true defensive captain along with Demario Davis from top to bottom. I think that's very exciting to see. 
especially with the Mario Davis and Patrick Queen pair. I think that can be a really, really good uh, ten the linebackers. Before I go to Matt here, something interesting that you just brought up. Um, and that's the layers of captains on that defense. So even if you go all the way down from line to defensive backfield, Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, Malcolm Jenkins, if you want to talk about a veteran presence on any defense, that may be the best trio of captains that any defense has in the NFL this year. And that's, I think, a very sound point that you just brought up. So I just wanted to make note of that because that's interesting. Um but Matt, uh, uh, over to you. What's what's your take on Patrick Queen? I know you're an LSU fan. I know you're a Saints fan. So if they were to get him here, I'm sure you'd be pretty damn happy. Yeah, considering it it never happens, I'm not necessarily counting on it. <laughs> but uh, if this ends up being the pick, uh, I think it's fantastic. Injects a little bit of youth into that defense. Dude can play. Uh, he's a three-down linebacker. Dude can play all over the field, just runs all over the field. Is exactly what you want at linebacker in today's NFL. He's physical. He's fast. He can play behind the line of scrimmage, too, and get to the quarterback a little bit. Uh, one thing you can look at with this selection as well is Demario Davis is a little bit older. Uh, I think he's at least in his, his uh, mid-30s, I want to say, or something close to that. So, does he take over for him in a couple of years, and then he becomes that defensive captain, like you guys were talking about, where he's kind of waiting uh, to take over. But I think you can plug him in. He's an immediate starter. Linebacker is a little bit of a need because, uh, like like you guys were saying, Kittle kind of killed him over the middle. So if you get that speed to match with the tight end, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Now, Danny, what's uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, I I mean, I think outside linebacker, you know, let linebacker position is something that the Saints are looking to address. I think they would have been happy if uh, Kenneth Murray was there. Um you know, but he, he went, you know, a little bit earlier than, you know, you could imagine. You could see the Saints go a couple different ways. Yeah, you could pick Jordan Love, the heir apparent to Drew Brees, and lock it down. Um, but I don't know that you're going to do that. Also, you know, if you're going to pick an LSU guy, Christian Fulton could come to mind too, you know, help sure up your your secondary to go alongside Lattimore there. But I, I like Queen. I think he makes sense, you know, for the Saints there. And it would be nice to break the mold and actually get some LSU talent, uh, you know, in the 60-mile trip from Baton Rouge to New Orleans. So I like the pick. Now, Matt, that brings us back to you with Minnesota's pick at 25. Uh, Keep in mind that uh, Matt had the pick 22 with the Vikings and went with a fellow LSU um, stud with with outside linebacker Clavon Chasson. So at 25, what's the move here? So at this pick, I'll go ahead and kind of address the elephant in the room in Minnesota. So I'm going to go ahead and pick a wide receiver. I'll go P. Higgins from Clemson. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Now, now getting rid of uh, getting rid of Stephon Diggs kind of left a, a pretty big hole in that receiving core with only really Adam Thielen. Uh, one guy I thought about really hard in this spot was actually Justin Jefferson. But seeing as I think Thielen operates best out of the slot, and I think he's probably the best slot guy in the NFL, I don't know if I wanted to grab another slot guy in the draft, especially in the first round, considering that's where most of his uh, Jefferson's production came last year. So in Higgins, I get a guy that's got great size. He's six foot three, can play that outside position that I desperately need gives Kirk Cousins another weapon to work with since I gave him all that money. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, shore up my receiving core. 
I like it. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, I was talking with Danny and a couple other people recently, and we were talking about the receivers in this draft and who we who we liked the best um, out of the receivers. And not that I necessarily like him the best. I like his upside the best. Um, uh, T. Higgins and. You know, he's lengthy, he's long, um, he doesn't get much separation, but again, he plays the ball at the highest points, um, and he's got great hands, so I think this pick makes a lot of sense because he can also extend the field a little bit. He's got that long frame, that lengthy body, and because he plays the ball at the point, I'm not saying he's going to be this, so for you uh for you three and for anyone listening i'm not saying he's this but that style of play of being able to go deep take the ball or take the top off the defense we already know what minnesota viking great did that before and that's of course randy moss and i think he gives them that same sort of element a little bit um and that's something they're they're definitely going to miss with uh digs but the good thing about higgins He's a little bit bigger, he's a little bit longer, and he goes up and gets it. So I, I like that pick a lot. I was actually looking at some of the other receivers like Jefferson um, for the Vikings there, but Higgins, I think, is a very smart and sneaky pick. So um, I like it. Now, Corlin, what about you? I was a little bit surprised by the pick. I thought he was going to go defensive uh, back. I thought he was going to go Christian Fulton, but hey, um, you know, that's one of those glaring holes that Minnesota does need to fill. Um, I think they would be able to have some value in the back end of the draft to be able to fill that up. Christian Fulton is a little bit of a reach at this point. Could be, uh, be not, but uh, he excels in man press. Uh, and I think that's something that they really needed, especially with Xavier Rose kind of falling off on his production the last year or two. And actually, part of ways in them. But, um, I don't know, man. T. Higgins is not a bad move. Either way, he needs to address uh, skill positions. Uh, offensive and defensive So T. Higgins is a guy who can go up and get the ball, uh, be a big playmaker. You need. Just um, didn't think he would be right here, though. But okay. All right, and uh, Danny, what's your what's your take on this one? I think if there's a receiver that's going to come off the board that maybe you didn't see in round one, it's T. Higgins. I like him a little bit better than um, you know Chenault or. Uh, like I said, uh, Jalen Regor. Uh, that being said, I also think that the Vikings are the perfect team for T. Higgins. I just think he fits there. You can see him in the uniform already, and you do have to get rid of, you know, you have to replace, you know, a, a pretty solid receiver in Diggs. So trade Diggs for Higgs makes sense. <laughs> Diggs for Higgs, the new slogan in Minnesota. Um. So with that being said, I am back on the clock with the Dolphins. Uh, after I traded the 18th earlier, I now sit with the 26th. And, you know, I'm going to just run the A11 offense uh, with the Dolphins going forward. So I'm just going to take Jordan Love and, you know, go two quarterback system. It's going to be great. Um, but, no, in all seriousness, uh, one of the big things that I think the Dolphins need to do, especially in the event that they get um, they get Tua, who, of course, the big talking point about him are the injuries. Yes, they can load up on defense with a number of guys here. Um, they could go receiver. I think Justin Jefferson makes a lot of sense for them here. But in all actuality, again, it's not always about being sexy. It's about being smart. And I'm actually going to go um, 
with Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State here, uh, offensive tackle, just to sure up that offensive line for them. Um, you know, um, like I said, with Tua's injury history, one of the things you're going to have to do, even if he doesn't start right away, start building to protect him. Because the last thing you want, uh, or the last thing I would want if I'm Miami trading up to get Tua is trading up for him and then having to deal with him getting blown up and going full David Carr here. So sure up that offensive line. I'll take Cleveland at 26, um, offensive tackle from Boise State. Uh, so, Corlin, I'll go to you. What's your take on this one? I think it's a safe pick. I really think that it's something that you all talked about earlier. And being, you know, just safe as possible in the draft and trying to protect your young assets and your young quarterbacks and give them some confidence. And you can't do that any better than giving them a big guy that can sit there and hopefully give them an 8 to 12 year career of uh, protecting his blind shots. So good pick. And Matt, what's your take? I think it's a it's a good pickup. Losing Laramie Tunzel, you needed to go ahead and, and start somewhere with that offensive line going ahead and getting your rebuilt. So I think it's a, it's a great pick. He he's right in there with probably your Austin Jacksons uh, with with the next group of, of offensive tacklers that are going to come off the board. So I think this is about the the spot you could see him come off in, in the actual draft. So I think it's good value at that point, too. But uh, needed to start somewhere with that offensive line, and I think he's a really good starting building block. And, Danny, last uh, last take on this one. What's your, what's your thoughts? Yeah, that, that might actually be one of my favorite picks in the bottom half of the draft because I think uh, Cleveland's not getting the, the same notoriety as some of the other tackles you've seen so far. And it is it's, – it's a perfect pick for Miami. I thought you were going to go with uh, – you know, an interior lineman. I was thinking maybe this is where you see Caesar Ruiz go off the board, but uh, I, I like Ezra Cleveland a lot. He makes sense. And it's crazy because I was kind of debating between Ruiz and Cleveland. Um, and in a lot of my previous mocks that I've done, this is actually the pick where I have Ruiz coming off the board. But in my previous mocks, I also don't have Miami trading up. So um, that's kind of where my head was at. I'd rather take the tackle, sure up the outside. So. Uh, with that being said, um, next up on the clock is Seattle. Uh, so, Cortland, you're up. What is Seattle doing with 27 here? All right, well, Seattle's got to figure out a way to stop San Francisco and those run-heavy teams and, you know, gashing them and giving them 250 yards on the ground year, uh, week in and week night. So, we're going to go with Neville Gallimore. He's the lineman from Oklahoma City. So I'll tell you why. He uh, watched Neville play, uh, you know, the guy goes 100 miles per hour every single rep. Uh, he's an attitude setter, he's a tone setter. Uh, he's a hustle guy. He's one of those guys who's going to be relentless every play. And I think he fits the mold of the defense that Seattle really wants to get back to, of being relentless, being some of those guys who's, you know, who's known for bringing physicality to the game and actually giving some of those linebackers a little bit more chance to run around a little bit. You got Bobby Wagner and those guys like that looking to play a little bit more uh, freely next year. And I think by, when you add a guy like uh, Gallimore, excuse me, who's going to get constant pressure to give patients a line, uh, that's going to make the linebacker play a lot easier for the guys. Interesting. So I uh, 
I think it's interesting you went Gallimore because if you look on the the draft board, I mean, there's other guys there like uh, Blacklock, like uh, Raquan Davis, um, some of those guys there, but uh, took Gallimore here. Uh, but one of the things that I think you mentioned that's important, and I think in a lot of ways this makes sense for a Pete Carroll team because Pete Carroll likes those high motor, those high energy guys, and a lot of times with defensive linemen, you see them get gassed, and once they get gassed, they're worthless. Um, so I, I, I think it's a little bit of a reach, but I also could see where Seattle could actually do this and maybe reach down the board because one of the things I think Seattle does um, does more so than anybody, they do gamble on a lot of those late firsts. They will take someone who's they, – they don't necessarily take the approach of, hey, let's just grab our best available player. They're going to go with needs and they're going to reach down a little bit, maybe further than they should. Um, so I think in Seattle's case, I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, so Danny, what's what? Oh, yeah, for sure. Life. Sorry, I won't cut you off. It's, you know, the Seattle mode has always been to take project defensive linemen and turn them into pro bowlers. Yeah, AKA Frank Clark. Uh, whenever Frank Clark came out of college, people were like, "Well, who the hell is that?" You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, the guy is the man in top money, and people say, "Oh, wow! Well, maybe Pete Carroll or on something." They love to take those guys, those high character guys those high-energy guys and take them and really make them to who they don't want to be. And I think Neville has the best chance of reaching the ceiling with the guys For sure. Danny, what's uh, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's probably earlier than you see, you know, Gallimore come off the board in a lot of mocks. But, you know, Cortland made a great point, too. You know, Seattle knows what players fit their mold. And if they see him now at 27, they don't pick again until 59. And, you know, you're probably looking at him off the board by then. And that's when you get into trouble trying to fit a position into your scheme rather than the player that fits that position for your scheme. So, to me, here in Cortland, it, it makes, you know, more sense. Yeah, I'm not going to lie and uh, act like I'm not surprised, you know, to see Gallimore go. But considering your next picks, you know, pretty much the the early third round. You know, you're right at the tail end of round two. Go after your guide. Now's the time you can gamble. There's a reason you're picking at the the end of round one. It's because you already, more often than not, have a pretty decent uh, roster. Go for your guy. You know, so if Gallimore's a guy, go for him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Matt, what's uh, what's your take? It just it feels like a, a Seattle Seahawks and <laughs> Carroll era pick doesn't it 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 just that's what it feels like uh you know relentless motor uh, just does not stop trying to get the ball carrier will run all over the field i feel like that's just the epitome of what Pete carroll wants in a defensive player and and you stick him on that defensive line next to uh next to jaron reed or puna ford depending on whichever one you want to play next to him but i think he can kind of fit that mold of being that that good next defensive lineman for Seattle and I think they've kind of been lacking for a little bit at least since they lost uh, Frank Clark but I think it refills a position of need I think they need to get after the quarterback a little bit more uh, depending on whatever they do with Jadavian Clowney but I think either going defensive end or defensive tackle great move uh, a good pick and with that said Baltimore is now on the clock Danny the pick is yours what are the Ravens doing here yeah so as I'm seeing names fly off the board, it really came down to a, a two-man race here. Uh, 
I mean, Baltimore is a team on a tear. I was leaning heavily towards addressing a safety since they lost Tony Jefferson to pair with their great corners and, of course, Earl Thomas. But instead, I look at, you know, your young quarterback who loves to run the ball. You have some great running backs there. I shirt up the, the interior line here, and I picked uh, Cesar Ruiz, the, the center-slash-guard out of uh, Michigan, to go there. And, and now you have your choice. You know, you can either slide him or Matt Skira over to guard, and, you know, the rich get richer. I like it. Um, you know, they, they lost uh, Marshall Yonda this offseason, so I think that's going to hit them very hard. Um, and I think that's a key component for why the Ravens were so damn good offensively last year. Um, so I think if he falls, it makes sense. Um, obviously, receiver is a big position of need for them with really nothing much outside of Hollywood Brown. But, uh, again, safe, not sexy. So good pick. And uh, we'll just go ahead and uh, start moving down the draft board here. Um, so next up is going to be the Titans. Uh, so that is Matt. Once again, you're on the clock. What are the Titans doing at 29? So I think a big part of what the Titans do so well is they block on that offensive line, which opens up all those running lanes for Derrick Henry and really allows that offensive line to click. And since they lost Jack Conklin, I'm going ahead and uh, going to select Austin Jackson, offensive mm-hmm. lineman, USC. I think uh, he's got probably, if you're talking about potential, maybe one of the higher-end potential players on the offensive line in the draft. A little raw, but I kind of feel like that's what you're going to get in the bottom half of the first round. But if they can develop this guy, I think he's certainly got Pro Bowl potential. He's super long, athletic. He's got bend at the hips. Uh, Just needs to work on his technique a little bit, work on his feet. But seeing as good as that offensive line uh, has been in recent years with whoever they have working – working on the offensive line i'm sure can coach him up really well so i think this also addresses a position of need so that's why i'm going to go ahead and go austin jackson i like it solid pick uh that's that's a pretty big steal i think if the titans land him at 29 so um next up we have the green bay packers here uh which is Cortland. so what are the packers doing here man this is going to be an interesting one And next up is the San Francisco 49ers, um, which means I am on the clock. Um, One of their biggest needs is the secondary, specifically that corner position. And uh, since he fell right into their lap, I'm going to take A.J. Terrell here from Clemson um, to sure up that corner position and uh, give someone to build around once Richard Sherman inevitably retires. So... That leaves us with the last remaining pick of the first round uh, before we dive into some of the things that have happened this draft. Um, let's go ahead and make this last pick. Danny, you're up with the Chiefs. Who you got? Yeah, yeah. so uh, I, in all my mocks, I had the Chiefs go running back, but honestly, the talent's still there. They, If you look at their corners, that's a huge position of need. So Christian Fulton fell right into their lap, cornerback out of LSU, and they're going to take him at – at 32, it's a deep draft for running backs. They're going to address it in round two. So Christian Fulton's the pick here to round out uh, round one. So that go that wraps up uh, round one, and uh, that does it for this mock draft. Um, with that being said, uh, you can find the full results, including the trades and everything, um, 
attached to this post on hotardhuddle.com. Uh, so be sure to check that out. But before we wrap up, just to be brief here, um, let's let's go back and look at some of these picks here. Uh, some of the notable things that happen. Miami trades up uh, as I made that decision to trade up uh, with Detroit to take Tua, uh, which caused a slide, a heavy slide to Justin Herbert um, at 23, not by the Patriots, by the Indianapolis Colts, who I used uh, their two early second round picks to trade up and take Herbert, who they inevitably need for life after Phillip Rivers. Um, Another just very interesting pick uh, was Neville Gallimore with Seattle, giving them that sort of high-motor player that they need. Uh, And then I think, honestly, one of my favorite parts of this, and I'll open up the floor here, and let's start with the back end here. So after Gallimore, you have Cesar Ruiz go to the Ravens, followed by Austin Jackson at 29 to the Titans, followed by Justin Jefferson at 30 to the Packers, then A.J. Terrell um, to the Niners at 31, and Christian Fulton rounding off the back end of the first round. That's five really good picks towards the tail end of this draft. Um, so I just kind of wanted to make note of that and kind of get open the floor here um, as we had those five just co- sort of free fall all the way down uh, because – with the exception of Fulton, I think um, Ruiz, Jackson, Jefferson, and uh, Terrell can all potentially go in the top 15, 16 picks this draft. So, Danny, I'll, I'll start with you here. You know, that's a pretty sound five to end the first on. Yeah, no. And like I said, in most of the mocks that you see and that I've done, I have the Chiefs taking DeAndre Swift at 32 almost every time. And he's the general consensus pick, but that's because Christian Fulton's gone by 20, 23, 20, you know, uh, right around that, you know, 16 to 22 area, um, maybe 25 with Minnesota. So I like that. Uh, you know, Jefferson's just a natural fit in green Bay. I wanted to take him with the pick in Baltimore, but he's just to me too much like Hollywood Brown. It's the same reason Higgins went to Minnesota instead of Jefferson. Um, so I like that. And then the Titans, I mean, they just get a high value guy there with Austin Jackson as well. So, um, you could argue that I would say two, maybe three of those top picks are, are top 15 worthy in, in some of the mocks. So it was, it was pretty interesting to, on how we rounded out round one. Corlin, what's, uh, what's your take on those last five? Matt, what's your what's your take on those uh, that back end? 
And I think if you're any of those five teams, you have to be ecstatic with, with you know, just the value you're getting at the end of the draft. Because all of these guys, I believe every single one of them has the potential to go in the top 20 because all it really takes is one team to fall in love to go ahead and pull the trigger. Uh, my favorite pick in that was probably the Ruiz pick just because you uh, you go ahead and you lose uh, Marshall Yanda. You go ahead and replace that with another guy who's, you know, you could argue is the best interior lineman in the entire draft. I don't know if you consider Tristan Wirfs a guard or a tackle, but I think he can go in and be a day one starter. Gives you some of that nastiness because, uh, as we all know, they run the ball with that uh, with Mark Ingram and, and every other weapon that they have on that offense. So he kind of keeps that clock ticking. Uh, I think another, you know, great pick of steal was uh, Green Bay getting Justin Jefferson. Well, we know Aaron Rodgers has kind of almost been begging for more weapons in Green Bay, but they, they just don't seem to surround them with that wide receiver talent. I think it gives them a legitimate number two to go ahead and pair Devontae Adams. And if you want to work them in the slot, which, you know, I think they can go ahead and, and use pretty badly, you can put them in there. Could be an 80, 90, 100 catch guy in his first season. Uh, and then you get the two corners uh, going towards the end of the draft, too, the two teams that are definitely pretty needy at the position. And, you know, if, if these guys can get over their, uh, their little bit of difficulties that made them be late round, uh, late first round picks, I think you can get an absolute steal with that and, and lock up your secondary. And then I'm going to go ahead and ask this question, uh, and I have one other after this before we wrap up. But the next question is going to be, what pick uh, did you guys think, um, I, I guess, surprise you the most? So... Um, in an essence, you know, maybe what surprised you in a negative or positive way, whatever it may be. Um, and I'll go ahead and uh, open the floor here. We'll start with uh, come back to you, Matt. So, what pick did you think kind of surprised uh, and jumped out to you in that regard? Uh, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with the Gallimore pick. Just because I thought they may have tried to go another weapon on the uh, on the outside, maybe I know they have Metcalf and uh, Lockett, but I feel like they just need some other aspect of that offense to kind of give it some more juice. Or they could have went offensive linemen because you still had a couple of uh, a couple of you know second tier offensive linemen. But uh, I guess it shouldn't surprise me because it does feel like a Seahawks pick. It's just personally, I, I don't know if we'll see that happen in. Uh, in actuality, but that that pick went ahead and surprised me a little bit, especially with some of the talent that was on the board. I can't say I disagree with the pick. I think in in the sense of it all, it's a really good pick, but I didn't see it coming. And then, uh, Corlin, we'll go back to you, man. What what pick sort of surprised you a little bit? Uh, The Kevin Murray pick was uh, really surprising, not necessarily good value, bad value pick. It was just intriguing to see where it would go. I knew the trend center. I knew he would go somewhere where uh, they were dying for immediate coach to change the guy who can come in and just change the culture locker room. And, uh, it's a great fit for a team like Jackson and Jaguars. Just trying to get, you know, the quote unquote unpopular guys out of locker room, the cancer out of locker room, and just kind of build their own thing. So I think he's in a great place, and I'm excited to see where he goes. Um, and then I guess for my, uh, for mine, I'll, I, part of me wants to say the worst pick, um, just at six. Uh, not taking Herbert, um, you know, but I mean, sure enough, the line's an important aspect, but I'll, I'll, I'll say the, uh, the Chasson pick at 22, um, just because I think, you know, 
Vikings, I think, in in all actuality, probably look at corner and then receiver or vice versa. Um, but if someone like Shasson falls, he's the second best pass rusher in the draft behind Chase Young, which obviously Young's not falling. Um, so with them having Shasson sort of fall into their lap, I think that pick just makes so much sense in so many ways. Um, one of the points Cortland made during the draft was you can never have too many pass rushers. So uh, that surprised me a little bit. It was taken there, but again, super awesome pick. Um, and uh, one that makes plenty of sense. Um, so Danny, we'll turn to you last here. Yeah. So, um, I guess the biggest surprise was Tristan Wirfs playing for two franchises in the top eight. And then (laughs) (laughs) that, I mean, that's just something we've never seen before. Um, Another thing was the metaphorical Dave Gettleman didn't pull a Dave Gettleman and got Isaiah Simmons. Absolutely. It actually kind of changed the flow of this mock draft because you, you're actually picking the Giants at pick four to have Gettleman, you know, choose, Daniel Jones over Josh Allen again. You know, that's basically what you're doing. If I'm choosing a player, uh, the Jeff Gladney pick is the one that surprised me, and it surprised me in a great way because I do like him a little bit more than A.J. uh, Terrell. But we all know that Mayock loves Clemson guys. So it's surprising to see them go corner with, you know, A.J. on the board, but they went Gladney. And like I said, I think Gladney's a little bit better. both are, are great prospects, but that was the one that shocked me, like I said, in, in, a, in a pleasant surprise type of way. And uh, the last question I have here is, who was left on the board that was surprising to see slip completely out of round one? I'll start, um, and I think I'm going to go with the most obvious choice here probably, and that's Xavier McKinney, safety from Alabama. Um, he's been tied to the Cowboys a lot, and then uh, Cortland came in, took Delpit over McKinney, and then, of course, McKinney fell. And, you know, one of the things that I thought about, too, with 26 was was McKinney. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, God, I could see Miami easily taking him if he falls. But the problem is with trading up, um, you know, it just it, it wouldn't make sense the most sense in the world to take a safety there when you have one of the top tackles still left on the board. So, um, but seeing McKinney fall, I, I think would be interesting if I'd be, I'd be pretty shocked if he, uh, ends up a day two pick. Um, and then Corlin, I'll turn to you. Say that again. I'm sorry. What's, uh, I guess what was the biggest shock who fell that you didn't expect? I guess I have to say Jordan Love because I think everyone's looking for the next Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think that he has the quote-unquote upside that people are looking for nowadays in the NFL. But, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be surprising if it does happen in real life. So I'm excited to see what happens with him. But uh, I think all it takes is with a pair of eyes. Um, I think someone realistically will uh, drive back late to you know, the first round and get him. Um, so... All right, and then uh, Matt, what's uh, what's the big surprise to you? Uh, I think I'd probably have to go with uh, Swift not going in the first round, uh, especially seeing how valuable the pass catching running back's been. Uh, I think we may see a team uh, that's not necessarily picking in the back end. Maybe they trade up with one of those teams at the back end. Uh, 
you know, trade up with San Fran. I know they've been shopping both of their picks. They can go up and get a running back. A little surprising not to see a running back in general taken in the first round. I know we've that's been the trend, you know, days past, but we've kind of been seeing a little rejuvenation of the running back position. So not seeing one go in the first round, uh, whether it be, you know, maybe Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift was a little surprising to me, but I get it. Uh, there's a ton of value for the running back position in later rounds. Uh, you can get first round value in the second. So I can understand why it's just, I thought somebody might've pulled the trigger. So a little surprising. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because you talk about the rejuvenation of the running backs. And I mean, if you look at the teams in the first round, um, Tampa Bay is one who I think could could potentially try to trade back in to the first. I'm not sure what their draft capital looks like offhand, but that's a team that I think glaringly needs a running back. And DeAndre Swift, I think, would be perfect for them. But when you look across the board, I mean... Um, you know, outside of the top 10, which are pretty much locks to not take running backs. I mean, you know, Raiders, Josh Jacobs, you know, you have Le'Veon Bell with the Jets, uh, you know, Broncos have Lindsey and Gordon, uh, the Jags, depending on what happens with Fournette, you know, that'll leave a hole, but still would they go there? Uh, much like the quarterback position, I think the running back position is just very thin right now in terms of needs. So, um, you know, when you look at a lot of these teams in the first round, they pretty much have their guys in place. And at this point, it's just filler. Uh, what would be interesting, I guess, would be San Francisco. We already know Kyle Shanahan loves his damn running backs, and he uses them in every freaking way imaginable. So I guess it would be interesting to see if maybe they start trading down to hoard more picks and eventually take one. Um, but that's someone who I could realistically see taking one. And then, of course, the Chiefs uh, with the back end, like Danny mentioned, the DeAndre Swifts. Uh, DeAndre Swift going at 32 and a lot of mocks. And originally I saw, you know, that was pretty much the lock of the first round for me in a lot of ways. But I, I don't know anymore with the Chiefs just because I think they do have some other holes they need to address before that just because defensively, you want to you wanna do as much as you can for Mahomes. If you have a defense that can consistently hold teams to under 20, you're not losing many games with that offense regardless of who's toting the rock. So that's that's interesting. Um, does anyone else have anything to add to that? I mean, the biggest surprises for me were actually the uh, the two DNs not getting drafted in the first round being A.J. Epinesa and uh, Yatir Grosnados. Uh you know, they both, by a lot of accounts, are top 25 best available players. And you just saw the draft kind of just materialize to a place where you couldn't find a spot for them. I think if New England made the pick at 23, Epinesa might be the pick, but they traded out of it. Uh, and you're seeing a lot more outside linebackers you know, get drafted ahead of the DMs. That just tells me that you need that guy that can either rush standing up or hand on the ground rather than the traditional, you know, old school Reggie White hand on the ground and, and you know, let's get after it. So that was my hype for round one. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that plays off the sentiment that, you know, we talked about a lot during the mock and that's, people just don't play the even fronts anymore. It's a lot of odd fronts. It's a lot of three fours. It's a lot of, you know, edge guys. It's a lot of hybrids. So, 
Um, but overall, I thought it was a good draft. I think a lot of it made sense. There wasn't really too many eyebrow raisers, but as always, you know we're going to see that come draft day. There's going to be one pick in the top 10 that you probably sit back and think, why the fuck would you do that? There's going to be plenty of picks in that 10 to 20 range where we're thinking that. So um, draft day is this Thursday. By the time this releases, it will be Thursday morning and draft day. This will be the third and final mock for the Hotard Huddle. Uh, so for all of those who listen to this episode, I appreciate it. And for my friends here, uh, Cortland Taylor, Danny Hillman, and Matt Labatu, I'm Michael Hotard. As always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.